Welcome to the Darren Batchelder Multifamily Real Estate Investing Show. Today, we're excited to have a special guest, Robert Preston, an experienced investor with a demonstrated history in the real estate market. Robert spent eight years investing in the multifamily workforce housing industry before pivoting to the RV space in 2020. He loves the RV industry, and in this episode, he shares with us the many reasons why. But before we get started, if you're like the majority of high net worth individuals focused on preserving your capital and building your wealth in real estate, visit darrenbatchelder.com forward slash investor call and schedule your discovery call now. This episode is sponsored by Cashflow Portal, real estate syndication software that accelerates capital raising. I'm both an LP and a GP in many multifamily deals. I've used many different software applications for the capital raising process, and I like Cashflow Portal the most. I'm so confident in the software and the Cashflow Portal team that I've become an investor in the company. If you are a syndicator looking for a software platform, then let the Cashflow Portal team know that you heard about them on Darren's podcast and you will automatically receive three months off an annual contract. You can find the company at cashflowportal.com. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Robert Preston. Robert, appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Darren. Love the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. This is actually the first time we're talking. Um, but, you know, he's in the RV, Robert's in the RV space. And yeah. um, I know of him through social media. And I've seen him beyond other podcasts. And um I purchased an RV last year and we, my wife and I traveled around and we really enjoyed it. And, you know, with all the changes and the challenges within the commercial uh, real estate space, I thought it was a great time to bring Robert on and, and learn what he's doing and why um, this might be another avenue, another asset class for, for the listeners to get involved with. So uh, with that, yeah. can you share a little bit on how many properties and how many units uh, you're invested in? Yeah, we have uh, 12 operational RV parks. Um, we have one in development. And then we have uh, three mobile home communities, four apartment complexes. And then in the pipeline, we're adding another four to six RV parks in the next, next quarter. So pretty active there. Um, I think that puts our unit count in the vicinity about 1,500, 1,500 sites presently. And awesome. adding, adding, uh, a little bit over a thousand here in the next quarter. So when I, when I took a, a peek at your website, it said, it said that you were prior in affordable housing. So you were, you were yes. in multifamily and then you pivoted to RV space. So why did you do that? When yeah. and why? When and why? So that's a really long answer with lots of stories behind <laughs> it. Um, but uh, the win is, is primarily into 2020, early 2021, um, we bought our first RV park, uh, February of 2020, 
by the end of 2020, we had three of them. Um, coincidentally, we really purchased our last multifamily asset uh, early 2021. That's the last one we purchased that we, we still own and operate. And, you know, there was a 2020 was a very interesting year. I, I left the Marine Corps as a full-time pilot, um, had built a portfolio, had built a syndication business while still being active duty. And uh, that allowed me to jump from that, um, purchased an RV, right? I, I bought a motor home. You did. We well, first of all, thank you for your service. Um, yeah, that's, appreciate it. Um, so you, so you, bought a, you bought a motor home first before yep. you bought the first park? No, we bought our first park. And then in 20, July of 2020 is when I left active duty, bought a big motor home, loaded up all the kids and the dogs. And it was kind of like our um, farewell tour. Spent about two months on the road. Um, awesome traveling and staying at RV parks. And that's where we've, that's where I found my second park that we bought was just talking to the owner on vacation. That's so funny. made that, made that whole vacation, a, a nice tax write off. Um, so yeah, that's where, that's where I fell in love with it as a, as a customer, probably more than anything. And then continued to think and evolve and ask questions and say, why, why are we not, why, you know, there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of competition in the multifamily asset, particularly in the workforce housing, you know, heavy value add is what we were doing. Really distressed assets. Um, made a lot of money. Also a lot of headache, a lot of, a lot of work there. And, um, you know, so through that 2020 struggle of eviction moratoriums and lots of other things that were difficult, you know, it was sort of what this epiphany of, wait a second, this is, this is something I like doing as a customer. It's fun. Uh, and it makes more money than I'm making in the multifamily side. There's more opportunity. Why don't we just go do that as a business? And so that's what 2021 was about. It was really kind of retooling and recrafting and, uh, and learning because there's, there's not a lot of industry data out there. There's not a lot of, um, it's not an institutionalized asset for the most part. So we're, we're learning and developing as we go uh, in the RV space. So that's a long answer of basically. No, that's, that's huge. So um, I'm way more junior than you on, on the, in the RV space. Uh, yeah. But what, can you describe to the listeners that maybe the, the types of RV parks? Because there's, yeah. there are different types of RV parks. And then which ones yeah. are you focused on? There's a, yes, that, that spectrum is quite wide. So I, you know, I think you could go from, um, maybe a lot of people think about your typical state park or national park. Maybe that's a good experience that a lot of people have had or I've seen. And that's really a campground. And I say that because, you know, it's, there's very little amenities. Um, sometimes there's not even full hookups and full hookups meaning water, power, and sewer. Um, you know, a lot of state campgrounds have uh, just water and power. Um, and you know, you quite literally are, you bring your tent and, and in a state park or national park, that's, that's awesome. What a great experience to, you know, camp out in Yellowstone. Um, but that same model exists. Uh, if you took that model out of the state park uh, or, or national park and put that just in your regular campground, that'd be kind of a real low end, very low end park where there's just water or there's just power or it's just a parking site, you know, no amenities, no stuff. And so that's going to pull in a way different demographic than that goes into the uh, state or national park. So that's kind of the low end, right? Just, just a tent camping, you know, wilderness type campground. And then you have, you know, now uh, resorts that are being built that are, you know, 500 to a thousand sites. Uh, there was, there's one announced, I believe in Oklahoma, right? It's going to be, uh, I forgot what it was. It's like 15, 
hundred sites. It's got movie theaters. Um, so you can go very high end resort Margaritaville's in that space. Um, a few other, few other spaces. And then of course there's a plethora in between of the KOAs, the Jellystones, the, uh, and in the equivalent, you know, mom and pop owns there. So, um, for us, we, we truly try to target, um, somewhere in the vicinity between a hundred and 150 sites is our minimum. And, um, two models have emerged out of that is, um, you know, our long, longer term, uh, uh, campgrounds, right. Uh, that have, have amenities, they have pools, they have clubhouses, they have stuff, um, but are really focused and catered more towards the work camper, the traveling nurse, the traveling construction workers. Um, uh, and then, and then we're also making a, a pretty hard pivot partnering with, a another company into the, uh, resort industry where we are building out those 500 plus sites, uh, that have, you know, have, a every amenity you can imagine, lazy rivers and restaurants and water slides and, uh, pretty cool experiences. So for us, we really want to be in, in kind of either one of those spectrums. Um, those are, those are two different, completely different, um, are. types of parks. You know, when you, when you talk about yep. long-term, you know, it, um, you know, on a multifamily, a typical lease is an annual lease um, yeah. with the with the long term on the RV side. You're talking about monthlies, but they're paying, they're paying you know monthly ahead before their mm-hmm. their lease is. Um, it's not a lease; they're they're basically staying on on the property. Um, typically, yeah. I mean, we do have one property where they're on annual leases. Oh, you they're know, on this annual is, leases. They are. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, that community is on a lake, you know, it's beautiful, very nice, very nice sites, covered sites. And, you know, essentially that becomes a second or third uh, home. It's a lake house, right? For your, uh, that property happens to be between uh, Birmingham and Atlanta. So that is your lake house that you, you just, those customers, they, they lease it by the year and they go out there in the summer and, and then it sits there unused for the rest of the year. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I was thinking that the, you know, with, Rent ha- having gone up so much over the years, you know, buying a single family house is so expensive that mm-hmm. these monthlies are, you know, in a, another affordable way to, to live at a, you know, ch- a cheaper, more affordable. Now you do have to have an RV, you know, you have, Correct. To, you have to actually buy an RV, but I've, I've talked to a number of, and I don't know if you see this, but, um, a num- number of park owners have told me that, you know, the parents have an RV and they're like telling, and the kid's like, hey, that you're, you just, you know, putting it in yeah. a storage facility, let me use it and then I can yeah. live cheaper. So a lot of, you know, kids that are starting out, young professionals are using their parents' RV and then they're paying the monthly rent. Do you see that? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a good friend from church, actually. His kid's going off, I think, to Tuscaloosa. I can't remember. One of the big universities. And it's far cheaper and far more space for them to just go up there, take their, your fifth wheel and set it up. And, you know, their, their, I think their son, if I remember correctly, is, you know, that's how he's going to college. He's, that's his, that's his dorm room. He's living there. So yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. There's, you know, there's a culture change on, on the way that we work, the way that we live and almost all these trends, you know, head towards more flexibility. Everyone wants a flexible work schedule. They want a flexible in-office versus hybrid. Um, they want flexible location. And so, you know, if if you have that desire in life, then there's there's very few ways to live uh, better than 
than remote work and traveling in an RV. If you get tired of place, you, you pack up and you go to another state and you still do your same job via Zoom, just like we're doing. Um, you know, and so the idea of working for a company for 35 years in a pension, that's kind of out the door. Um, even the idea of wanting to be a, you know, three, two homeowner with a white picket fence and two and a half kids, like that's not necessarily the cultural dream anymore. And so, um, you, you know, a lot of our guests that are long-term, I mean, they're very, they, they have very high paying jobs. They have, you know, they're, they're upper middle class and, but it's still just a choice right. um, that they like. And, you know, and there's a whole other set of demographic that are in between building a house. They sold their house, you know, a year ago and made tons of money, but they forgot that they have to buy a new house at the same inflated price. And now they're waiting for the prices to go down or they're waiting for their house to be built. And um, yeah, you can go down to the store and buy a, buy a really nice camper RV in half a day and the equivalent house takes you 45 days to close. So it's, it's sometimes it's a much easier option, uh, for just pure living. Yeah. I mean, another thing that I've, I've heard, um, and I've seen it at, at parks that I've gone to is that there seems to be, and I'd love to get your take on it. Um, the difference between say the, the, management and the ownership of a large multifamily complex where the tenant may feel like it's an adversarial relationship um, versus, you know, being in a campground, you know, or an RV park where you're choosing to stay. You can, you can leave at any point in time. You're not stuck in a year lease. And the, you know, the people that are working there are typically, friendly and getting to know the guests yeah. and it's almost like a family relationship. Well, you nailed it. I mean, you know, I would say, I think about it over half of our parks are managed by someone who lives in the park. So not only is it a family relationship, like it's your, your, their neighbors. So, um, you know, to your point, like if, if that relationship's not good, your customer can leave. Um, and so the, you know, it's, it's indicative that we provide great service and hospitality from the managers to the customers because they're neighbors and friends too. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's a definitely different demographic. I always, I always tell people I love RV parks because our customers are happy. They pace ahead of time. Right. They're happy to be there. Everyone's on vacation. I'm happy to be there. You know, like I don't go vacation at my workforce housing apartment complexes, Right. but I, I load up the family and we go on a, they think it's a vacation. I think, you know, it's a work trip for me to check on properties and, but it's fun. Yeah, so that's, that's it's, it's a different feeling. That's huge. So what, what about, um, what do you look for when you, when you're buying? Yeah, great question. So, you know, typically our buy box is the Southeast, um, primarily, but you know, one of the, one of our target, uh, things that I'm looking at is, you know, seasonality. So, uh, every RV park has seasonality, has, has, uh, high, you know, peaks and troughs. However, um, you know, if you look at the Southeast or the Sun Belt, we have a property in Arizona sort of fits the model as well. Um, we have much longer peak seasons and we can stay open all year. So one of our, one of our key criteria right now is that we buy parks that it can be operational all year. Um, you know, I, I love Wyoming. I love Yellowstone. Um, I love going out there, but it's, it's really hard to make money when you're, you know, your business is completely shut down to zero, you know, six months out of the year. So, um, that's a, that's a much more difficult business to model. 
So for us, that's geographically kind of means below the freezing line. Uh, Southeast is great. Florida, Tennessee, you know, North Carolina type of quarter. A lot of people coming there, a lot of pop population density. Um, if I can be within about an hour of a, of a decent MSA, you know, tertiary on up is, is a good, good MSA for us. Um, that's great because, you know, a lot of people do staycations, you know, drive an hour, go camping. That's, that's fine. Um, and then for the property itself, you know, again, typically I'd like to be about, you know, 150 sites or greater is ideal. Uh, a lot of, a lot of caveats there. Um, water features are amazing. You know, a river, a pond, stream, lake, you know, oceanfront, uh, even a really awesome pool, right? People are attracted to water, um, uh, you know, and it, if it's in a, it already a tourist area, that's awesome, um, but not a huge requirement. It's really the size, the water requirement and, you know, close to, a, to an MSA is uh, one of the key things we look at. Off of interstate, easy access to an interstate is, is another one of them that we're targeting. And of course you have the, you know, finances. So, so typically, you know, we're not buying anything. Very rarely would we buy anything right now, less than an eight cap in place, eight cap. Um, many times we're, we're closer to nine, um, you know, in our better deals, you know, we've, we bought deals in the 10, 11, uh, cap rates, even just this year. So, um, they, they're generally cash flowing pretty well. That's, that's great. Now, what about, um, who you're buying it from, you know, you're buying it yeah. from mom and pop, you know, type of owners, uh, one-off owners. Uh, what about marketing, um, you know, yeah. existing marketing versus what you plan on doing? And, um, you know, what's your value add? What are you, what are you going to do to, to add value to the property? Yeah. So those questions are actually fairly well tied together. Um, a lot of our sellers are, uh, owner operators, um, maybe one or two assets, um, mom and pop level. And, uh, they typically do a really good job of taking care of the people, a really good job of taking care of the properties, you know, physically, but don't have a lot in the means of systems, a lot in the means of marketing, um, very little online presence. You know, we've, we've bought parks before that literally have no website. Like you can't even find them on Google maps. Um, you know, and so that's, that's a, a huge value add for us to simply come in and make it known to the population that this right. park exists. Um, so that's a, that's a big value add. So, um, bringing in some technology, bringing in dynamic pricing, booking, Airbnb, you know, syndicated marketing through that process is value add. And then a lot of times these parks come with a lot of excess acreage too. So fairly common that there's a lot of unused land um, that has not been developed. And that's, you know, that, that again is a home run for us because, um, you know, if we've got a hundred pad site as an example, and we had 20 sites, I'm, I'm not adding another clubhouse or a pool house or a pool or all these amenities that, that current amenities package can support, you know, a 20% ish increase in site count. And so that CapEx money that's going into adding new sites is, you know, very high return, uh, return of capital on that because your, all your, your infrastructure is essentially in place and that, um, you know, sites are relatively inexpensive to build when you have all the horizontal done and all the amenities are done and the land's already purchased. Uh, so you can really, really increase your NOI pretty quickly by adding those sites. Um, 
to a certain extent. If you start adding, you know, phase two, you're doubling the size of parts, then you got to add, you know, corresponding amenities. But um, that's kind of our uh, really sweet spot there to find something and add about 20, 10 to 20% uh, more sites uh, without really changing the amenities. That's awesome. So um, marketing and being able to expand, you know, the, the number of sites, um, those, those are two major ways that you can um, yeah. add value right away. Now, when I was looking for parks for, you know, my wife and I, I would tend to use certain apps that mm-hmm. would rank different um, parks. Do you yeah. see that as a value add as well? There's some, there's, there's some amount there. Um, I would think that that plays into the, the resort parks, you know, that, correct. you know, that you want to be highly ranked by, by other people that have already gone there and, um, for that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the best one is Google, right? So what's your, what's your star rating on Google? You know, I'm an RVer. I'm probably looking, I'm searching primarily through Google maps and, you know, I'm, First thing I look at is where's the location? Is it on my route? Second thing is, you know, what's the rating? What's the reviews look like? So, yeah, that's, that's, it's very critical to, uh, to everything we do is, is that, um, uh, what do you got? Yeah. Customer review process. Um, lots of different apps, but you know, Google's, Google's by far going to be the, the, the most important. So I don't know if this is important to you guys or not, but another experience that we've had is, not necessarily the destination, you know, I'm going someplace for, for a week or whatever, but I might be driving and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to make a reservation in the morning. I'm going to see yeah. how far I can drive. And then I just asked my wife, Hey, it's, it's about to get dark. You know, we're yep. probably coming up on this, this city, you know, can you find a park that's available? And we've had it where sometimes it's maybe past five o'clock and that there's nobody that answer the phone. I'm like, they just lost a customer. You know, I would, I would have stayed there, you know, absolutely. if there was an online booking or some way of, of going there because they had good reviews and, but no, there was no way to reserve a spot for the same night. It's amazing how common that is. You know, when we go into buy our property that at five o'clock, like you don't, you don't get to check in, you don't get to book some, some people we've, we bought parks where they were literally not, you know, they'll turn you away if you pulled in, like, let alone not calling, like you pulled up and you have an each spot, just knowing at the office, they're not going to check in. So yeah. Um, you know, all of our, all of our parks have online reservation systems. Um, you can, you know, book without talking to a person, which is from an owner's perspective is ideal. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, it's even some of the big centers. boys, you know, that like, it's not just the little people that, you know, the one mom and pops, there's some big boys that like, yeah, we've called and they're, they're out. I'm like, how do they not have that? Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. It's a very low, low tech, um, industry or asset class right now. And so a lot of our, you know, strategic efforts are going into the, to that side of it, you know, from the tech component of customer interaction of, um, you know, how do they pay? How do they do that stuff to just the facilities? Uh, there's, we, we use a lot of power, right. They're very power hungry properties. So, you know, we're looking at, can we integrate uh, solar panels over the sites to provide shade and to offset that? So a lot of that type of stuff, um, we're not, uh, we don't have integrated to the parks right now, but that's a lot of kind of where my time and effort is spent um, over this next couple of years is 
is integrating those type of things. Um, there's some cool stuff happening. Like we have a, we have a little uh, wristband now that has RFID tag on it and that can uh, or will be able to like access, you know, if you want to rent a kayak, you just go down there and tack it and oh, that's wow. automatically unlock or you go to the kids, take it to the arcade and, you know, they can use that to, to get credits to spend on, you know, that type of stuff. So we're, we're, we're very quickly trying to bring those together, but it's, you know, it's a very low tech industry right now, which is lots of opportunity. Lots of opportunity. Yeah. I've heard some people say that it's like the, I'm guessing you've heard this before. Uh, it's, it's like the self-storage industry, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, I would, I would like to think I, I would like to take credit for that statement. I, so, <laughs> yes, that's kind of. I have my, heard it a number of a number of times, but when you pivoted in 2020, you know, there yeah. probably weren't as many people saying that. No, um, no, I, you know, we. That's what I looked at. Was we looked at self storage and I looked at apartments. You know, self storage back go back 20 or 30 years ago. You can see the progression of that asset class. You go back and look at multifamily post World War II. And you can see almost the exact same progressions that, uh, and self-storage followed that. And I think we see this, we're, you know, pretty the first third, first quarter of that same progression into the RV asset class. So 15, 20 years from now, I don't think it'll be novel. There'll be institutional level debt. There'll be institutional level, um, owners, you know, there'll be much, there's, there'll be several publicly traded companies all in this space. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, pretty confident that that's, that's the, the progression and, and track of, of this asset class. So talk about the people side. So, you know, yeah. on the multifamily side, you know, if you're buying your first, you know, syndicated deal, you're most likely going with third-party property management. And then mm-hmm. as I've talked to a lot of syndicators, you get up to kind of a thousand units and then you start questioning, should I bring property management yeah. in-house? You know, with the RV parks, are you keeping the on-site staff, you know, when you purchase the park? Are you replacing them? Does it depend? You know, how, how does that work out? Yeah, depends. So learn our lesson. Um, you know, if you're buying a distressed asset, uh, almost never does it work to keep the staff. So um, we've tried that a couple of times. It's always been us in the butt. No matter what, who they say the fault is, at the end of the day, you know, if we're buying something distressed, um, we're, we're going to end up replacing uh, most things. If you're buying a uh, business that's going well or a property that's going well, that's like half the value. If you find a great team, operational team that's there that you can keep, I mean, that's, that's a big deal in our, in our underwriting assumptions of can we keep that, you know, key manager, can we keep that key staff if they're doing well? Because it is hard. Um, there are third, property, third party property management or asset management companies in the RV space. Um, but very limited. Um, and so from a practical standpoint, you, you essentially have to self-manage. Um, it's a service that we'll likely start providing soon. Um, but you know, as a sponsor or as a syndicator, you more or less have to assume that you're going to operate your own park yourself, um, right from the get go. So, uh, there's a, there's a big learning curve there. Um, there's two barriers to entry into the space and that's why that, that's why there's money to be made. It's, it's the third party property management, um, or the requirement to have to manage the property yourself, however you want to look at it. And then the second barrier is the debt. Um, there's not that many non-recourse institutional level debt options. Um, and so, which means 
you know, either you're buying them in cash or you're buying them uh, with, uh, you know, credit union, local bank, regional bank type of debt, which means most of the time, you know, I've got personal guarantees on it, uh, which, you know, a lot of sponsors may not be willing to do. Right. Um, and so those are your two, you know, institutional what, what kind of barriers. What about seller financing? Seller financing. Yeah. Seller is finance that, is, that is quite popular. Or? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's not like at an 80% mark, but it's way more common than, than your other asset classes. Uh, but you know, still it just kind of depends on the situation there. Based on the situation of the seller of the, and what they, yeah, the seller, what their you know desire is and their stage of life and what their situation, it's a negotiating thing. So we almost always offer two offers, one, you know, outright purchase and one with seller financing. Um, and that really helps open up the conversation to if they're interested or not. Right. So you said that you're considering offering third-party property management at some point. How, how far down yeah. the road? Um, for the right properties, we can do it right now. So we're, we're just going to be probably very selective on the type of property and the owner. Um, you know, looking for more kind of strategic relationships, other owners that would really want to grow, um, you know, grow at the same rate that we are and really kind of operate the same type of properties and same level. I think we could, we'd like to start having those conversations. And do you want to be in that same the Southeast for that? Or is that a nationwide thing? That can be, um, that can be more nationwide, probably still again, kind of focusing on the Sunbelt. Okay. And um, then how do the, how do the economics work? I, I know, um, you know, on the multifamily side, you know, the larger deals, you're, you're at three, 4%, you know, um, for property management fees on collections. What, what does that look like in the RV space? Yeah. Um, I would say that, you know, typically we're probably a point to two points higher than, you know, your equivalent fees. Uh, it just is an immensely larger amount of workload than it is to manage. Four to five percent of collections? Yeah, probably in the five to seven percent, depending 5%. on the asset class. Or for, sorry, depending on the size, you know, the revenue, you know, obviously large property could go less. But the starting assumption should probably be about 6%. Because that is, you know, look, I'm invested in a lot of, a lot of multifamily deals and I love the RV space. Mm -hmm. But one thing that's attractive about the multifamily is that you can get the expertise of, of a property management company that has yeah. a lot of units in, in the market that you're buying in. So you can learn from that property management company. And it, look, if they're not doing their job, you could always swap them out. Um, but yeah. in the RV space, you know, not having that option, you know, you're going to be buying the property. It's like, you, you've got to be really confident that you're, yeah. you're, you're going to be able to execute on it. Yeah. There's, um, there's still, you know, there's still risk in this asset class. That's, it's the risk and reward, right? You know, yeah, you don't, absolutely. we can also, you know, get to 10, 12% you know, yield on costs, um, if not higher and have, you know, consistent high twenties IRRs. Um, but it's not easy and right. it's, you know, there's some, there's some risk in it. There's some risk. What about like, do you do any focus on doing anything unique at each park? Like, look, I, I didn't, I didn't go to this one park, but I read reviews. There's one park said that on a Saturdays, they 
they bring uh, waffles to each of the RVs. And I could not believe how many of the comments said, oh, it was so great that I got these waffles. I'm like, thinking to myself, like, how much does it cost to make the waffle? (laughs) And like every one of these customers is talking about that. Like, you know, just making people feel a little special. You know, another one mm-hmm. had like a cocktail hour and they would go around and give people a free cocktail, you know. Um, so what's your take on that piece? Yeah, I mean, you know, the there's what well, we, we would refer to it as programming. Um, that's critical, right? Yeah, we have Nerf Gun, Nerf gun Wars, um, you know, S'mores Nights, uh, stuff that is really, realistically, really, really cheap to provide or do, um, craft day, you know, where you still have to bring your own craft, but we're set up craft shops, you know, uh, bingo nights, like depends on the demographic again, you know, the summer is a lot more kid centric stuff. Um, one of the key features that we, in the forthcoming resorts, uh, that we're building, um, lots of amenities, but we always want to make sure that there's this green, green space, this yard where you have events and where you do the phone parties or you do the Nerf gun wars or you do the, uh, you know, flag football type of stuff. And, you know, those are typically like AstroTurf type stuff, uh, you know, really, really high quality, um, you know, manicured lawn, right? That just, just that simplicity of having a common meeting space where your kids are going to go meet new friends. You're going to meet new friends. You're, you've got a beer, you're sitting there and the kids are out there playing, you know, pickleball or whatever it may be. Uh, that's the stuff that matters, you know, that matters to you. It matters to me as an RVer. That's what makes it fun. Um, you know, we're, I'm passionate about connections. I want to connect people with each other, husbands and wives, families, you know, mom and dad, you know, how, how often have you gone through a week and have you really connected with your, with your spouse or your kids? Like we're, we're there for a few hours, you know, at night where we kind of interact with each other in the house. But when you're at a campground and you're sitting around a campfire, conversations happen. So, you know, we want that connection. We want the connection that exists between, uh, we want the connection that exists between neighbors. Again, you know, we all live in, neighborhoods or most of the neighborhoods, how many people do you actually know in your neighborhood that you've, you know, interacted with? But if you're at a campground, I don't know what it is. Within 30 minutes, you're going to be cooking a hot dog and having a, a beer or a cocktail with the guy you've never met before, but he's got the same, you know, camper and, and now you're friends and with kids. So it, it, that's, it is, but both those things that you touched on are so like I've, I've experienced it. And like, yeah. if, if you're a listener and you have not, you know, been RVing before. I mean, it really is true. You pull into an RV, you know, campground and look, there could be RVs right near you that are way more expensive or way less expensive. And people just come over and like, it's different than your neighborhood where you drive into your garage and you close the garage door behind you and you don't even, you know, know your neighbors. Everybody is out. They help each other. Help each other. And yeah. Um, I remember when I first, on my first trip, I didn't know anything like uh, how to do this and that. And I just would go ask people and they'd come over with their toolbox or whatever, like, you know, show me <laughs> what was going on. Yeah. The other thing that's critical, um, that you said is this green space, because <laughs> I think if people haven't been RVing and they're looking to develop, you know, a site, they look to maximize how many pads you could put everywhere, right? Sure. But, you know, I was at a, my wife and I went up to Montana and we went to West Glacier and we, we stayed at 
um, the KOA there, which was, was a really nice one. And they had a big open space that was grass and all the kids were playing and we met other people and they had, you know, they had an old um, Airstream that they were had yep. cocktails coming out of. And it, that's the memory. Yep. Like, and some people think like, oh, well, you know, how do people like RVs? parks because they're your parks right all next to each other but if you have this open space everybody's congregating there and yeah and enjoying that that amenity i mean you nailed it it's you know from the from the resort perspective right that brand that we're building um on the resort perspective sure you're you're still parked what people say hey you're parked in a parking lot right but compare that to what you're doing in a hotel you're not sharing a wall you're not sharing a ceiling you have at least 40 feet of your own space. You have your own picnic table, your own stuff. And then you get to go use the common, all the common amenities, the restaurant and the green space and the play yard and the pools and all the other stuff. So, you know, for me, from a, from a vacationer's perspective, from a resorter for resorting perspective, like to me, it just seems like a way better option, um, you know, to, to vacation. You, got lot, you have your own, your own stuff, right? You're sleeping in your own bed that someone else didn't sleep in the night before. Right. And it's, for some reason, I don't know why it is, but like people feel like they're like-minded people mm -hmm. when, they, when they're in an RV campground versus, yeah. look, you can get an Airbnb or stay in a hotel and you don't go knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, do you want to hang out? Like, you know, <laughs> right. it just doesn't right. happen. You, you, you might like talk to them in the pool, right? Um, you know, and and get friendly with them, you know, at one of the amenities. But um, yeah, so yeah, your kids, you don't let your kids just like get on a bike and ride through the park, like right. That's the first thing that happens. Door opens, kids are gone. They're on bikes. Ten minutes later, they've got a gang of like twenty kids, and they're all best friends forever. And you ask them that night, like, what's, what's that guy's name? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's my friend. Oh, we though. played all day, right? We played all day. I know it, I know where he where he's staying. You know, I stays right there his, on his RV tomorrow. Green bike kid. Yeah, okay. right. Exactly. Hey, so before we started, um, you said that in addition to the RV space, um, you're all you know you're also in mobile home parks and you're in multifamily. Um, but in addition to that, you're also lending money and doing mm. craft equity type deals. And in today's market, there's there's a big need for that. There's a lot of yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of multifamily deals. There's a lot of all types of commercial real estate deals that, you know, with higher yeah. interest rates, with higher insurance costs, they need some additional capital. So yeah. what kind of deals do you guys look for? Well, you know, what fits your box? Yeah, great question. So we have some, you know, we have some kind of really exciting news we get to announce uh, here later in January. So I can't give away a lot of details, but we have a, a couple big strategic um, relationships that are done. And, um, you know, the gist of it is we, we can provide just about any type of debt or pref equity. Um, you know, typical, we're looking for, you know, three-year terms, uh, bridge loans for uh, development and construction, bridge loans for repositions. You know, we're not long-term debt, of course, um, but that kind of bridge loan facility uh, multifamily, you know, RV parks, uh, mobile home parks, all, all in that realm, you know, all the way up to 85%, um, LTC. Um, uh, we're really looking for, we're looking for sponsors that, you know, are long-term relationships. So we want sponsors that are, you know, aligned with our, 
our core values aligned with our purposes and, you know, we expect to do business for a very long time. Um, and you know, the larger, larger, the loan, the better, uh, essentially. Larger the loan, the better. So what's Correct. kind of the, what's the low and the high or is there no, you know, our, uh, for this year, you know, our, our target loan would, um, you know, per, per loan, our target yeah. is, is 10 million. 10 million. Um, you know, that's kind of our, our, our target average. Um, we can go, you know, quite a bit higher than that, but that's kind of our, our target average. What about, this is a big question concern for a lot of people. Okay. Like there's a lot of people that need that. Right. But then yeah. when, when the calls happen, like the terms don't necessarily marry up or they're looking for a ton of equity in. So mm -hmm. like, so are you guys looking for sponsors to, you know, put in a, a bunch of equity in like, how, how does that play out? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously just like any other bank, right. You look at the depends, asset, right? look at the lender, but, um, you know, we're, we're exploring up to 85%. Uh, so that's, that's pretty high for, for the industry right now. Um, you know, for the right asset, the right sponsor, we can go up, up to that high. Um, you know, the rates, you know, the rates are not, you want just kind of the old adage, you want fast, you want, you want fast, cheap, and easy, you know, that doesn't exist. So we are the, uh, very, very fast and very easy and lots of support. Um, but you know, rates are, and I hesitate to put anything out here cause it's, who knows what it's going to be a year from now, but, um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're typically right now at probably in the 10 to 12% is what you're going to see rates at. Yeah. Everybody's hoping that the feds going to lower yeah. rates next year, but, um, yeah, the rates are high now. I mean, you yeah. Are, and we're yeah. happy to get taken out. Right. We, we, that's, that's, that's the goal, you know, use us to get us, get to where you need to go and then get, replace us. Right. Exactly. So it's a, that could be a win, 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 um, mm -hmm. you know, for, for everybody. So that I think is a huge opportunity is, is being able to help, you know, syndicators that are, you know, they just need more time and more capital. I mean, yep. I hear that over and over and over from from syndicators, you know, they have 10 deals and two of them are in, you know, they need yeah. more time and more capital, you know, the other eight, they're, are, they're fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, the difference is, is that, you know, we're operators and sponsors too. So yeah. we're not looking at it necessarily from a bank's perspective that have these metrics that we know, you know, you didn't meet the last quarter and we know why, right. It's yeah. a little bit different. We're looking at big picture, like, is this a good asset? Is it a good investment? Yes, we understand just not the right, you know, last T6 or T12 just doesn't look right. We, as an owner, we get it. Right. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Um, so what, what do you, going forward, what's kind of the, more of the same? Or is there, you know, what do you see going into the next, you know, year, two, three years? For the, for the RV side? For our, you know, just the company. So are you, are you focused, you're staying in the RV space. That's, that's where the main focus is. And then yeah. that plus the, the prep equity opportunity, lending opportunity. Yeah, definitely from the, from being the sponsor operator component of it, you know, the stuff we owned, um, my, my focus is definitely in the, in the RV sector for foreseeable future. Um, and then, you know, lending can be, We'd like to really, we'd like to get into the lending space on the RV side. 
uh, a lot more too. And there, there's not many people doing it, you know, definitely believe in the, the abundance mindset, the rising tide lifts all the yachts. So the more sponsors and operators we can get in the RV side, building, building out more institutional level parks and stuff. And then, you know, 10 years from now, that is, it is a space that, uh, you know, as a, as an industry, that's huge. I, I think that, that, you know, you're thinking big because, you know, look, you're in a space that isn't institutionalized, right? There's a lot of mom and pop owners. So you can come in and buy up parks, yep. you know, and bring in marketing and add new sites and add yeah. value there. But to be thinking like, okay, well, how is it, how can I get Darren involved? How can I get other yeah. people that are in you know, multifamily world or, or haven't bought something, how do I get them involved? Well, the two barriers that you mentioned are third-party property management and debt. Like, so Correct. if we can solve that problem for them, then, you know, we could get more people involved. We, we get a piece of the pie and they get into a new asset class. Yeah, absolutely. And our customers have, you know, you know, I think it's goes back to connections thing. The more, I, I'm my altruistic version of that is, you know, if you can strengthen the family, if you can strengthen the community and you strengthen our nation. So I want to make good money, but I also want to do that too at the same time. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. So, Hey, if people want to get to know you better, your company better, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, forgot what my handle is. Maybe we'll put hustling you a link to that, but okay. um, my email is Robert at climb capital. C-L-I-M-B-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. That's by far the best way to get a hold of me. Um, Clampcapital.com. But um, yeah, love to love to disconnect via email and then I will go from there and set up a meeting. Awesome. Awesome. Robert, well, I, I really appreciate you sharing. Um, I love that your heart is into not only profiting in a new sector, but also helping other people get into that sector as well. Yeah. Um, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>